This is just to give me a little bit of a boost so y'all can see me. <coughs> just kidding. Need a lot more than that. Um, Tony, you're a really authentic uh, man of God, and I'm really inspired by that. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Uh, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for this amazing church. I thank you uh, so much for your love for us, uh, your good intentions for us. Father, I pray would you anoint me with your spirit to just speak your words, God. Um, speak them effectively. And uh, Holy Spirit, I also pray that you just come on every person in this room and soften hearts to be able to receive and open up minds to be transformed uh, by your word. Jesus, we love you. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. I have not received permission to tell this story, so uh, this is kind of one of those things where I guess I'm going to ask forgiveness later. Um, but I had a really great conversation with uh, Terry this week. Um, we had some good laughs. He was telling me about uh, a time when they were back in Louisiana, and Terry was doing some manual labor, like a manly man, and he was uh, digging some kind of ditch. I'm sure, I think he said it was for some kind of, um, it had something to do with water, uh, so that's all I remember, but uh, he was building some kind of, he was do, digging some kind of ditch, and he was going to have to do something in that ditch. Sorry if I'm giving too many details, um, but, you know, he finished digging all the in, entire ditch, and um, he said he was really, really tired. Obviously, Louisiana, really hot and muggy. And uh, he said, you know, even at that time, he was, you know, struggling with some blood pressure things. And so um, he was decided he was going to go inside because he knew that he had a strapping young lad uh, for a son. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, we'll just let y'all figure it out later. Uh, but one of his strapping young sons uh, walked in. He's like, perfect. All right. You, son, I am not feeling very well. I'm going to go inside and cool down. You come, and I just want you, I've already done all the hard work. I need you just to put the dirt back in the ditch. That's all you need to do. Uh, son says, okay, all right, I'll do it. Uh, and so he goes inside and, you know, cools down a little bit, and he's in there for about 30 minutes, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go out and see what a good job my son did putting the dirt back in the ditch. And he gets out there, and the son is just standing there, just analyzing the dirt, which has not been put back in the ditch yet. And Terry's confused, and so he walks up and he says, hey, why have you not put the dirt back in the ditch yet? And he said, well, you know, I was thinking I could just put the dirt back in the ditch with the shovel, but what if I went and got my four-wheeler and I attached this piece behind it, and I drove over the ditch, dragging the dirt back into the ditch with the four-wheeler, and then I came back around the other side, repeated the process, and just big convoluted plan. And Terry's reaction as a parent was obviously, he took the shovel, threw it at him, and said, just put the dirt in the ditch. And uh, you guys can put away that slide. We're not ready for that one yet. Sorry, I just realized that was still there. Um, but the point is... Um, <clears throat> A lot of times, uh, you know, I tried to find an illustration, by the way, from my own life, but uh, I asked my parents if there was ever a time that I just didn't obey anything they said, and I just couldn't think of anything, so I had to use somebody else's example. <laughs> um, but the problem uh, is, 
that a lot of times we do this with Jesus. Jesus says, black and white, hey, do this. And he walks inside, and we stand out there, and we go like this. We're like, okay, we could do that. Or, you know, here's an idea. We could do it this way, and we could, you know, do this to make it a little bit easier. And uh, maybe he meant by doing this, how he actually wants me to do this. When all the time Jesus comes out, and he just, says, he just throws us a shovel and says, I just told you to put the dirt in the ditch. So, now I think we're ready for that slide. Let's talk about some of Jesus' dirt in the ditch commandments, all right? The Bible is full of difficult things that God has asked us to do. And here's just an example of a few of them, some of the more difficult ones. There was a man that came to Jesus, and he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's difficult. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Be homeless. Uh, next one. said, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. I don't think we've actually ever, like, thought about that. Imagine if somebody came up and stepped on your foot and walked away and then came back and said, I'm sorry. And you're like, the first time you're maybe like, okay, sure, it was an accident. Imagine they come back up again, and they step on your foot, and they're like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. You're like, okay, that's weird. That's a kind of a coincidence that he stepped on my foot twice. This is very unusual. And then he comes back, and he does it again a third time. He's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. About the third or fourth time would be the time when I'd be like, no, all right? Imagine if somebody really actually sinned against you seven times in a day and came back and said, I'm sorry. You'd be like, no way, dude. But Jesus said that's the kind of forgiveness that he wants us to have. That's difficult. Uh, next one. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Next one. Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Next one. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. Next one. Okay, go back. Sorry, thought that was there was one more, but there's not. Forget that last slide. Uh, these are a lot of really difficult commands that Jesus gives, that God gives. There's, uh, there's one place in particular in the book of John where Jesus is, has just finished telling uh, all these crowds and these people who, are, uh, who have been following him around. He said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, peace, we're out. All right, that's weird. You're weird. We don't want anything else to do with this. It was really cool when you were giving us uh, bread and fish to eat, but we're not going to eat your flesh, Jesus. Uh, so they're out. They leave. Uh, and the disciples are like thinking the same thing that we are and the crowd's thinking. And so they come up to Jesus and they're like, they're stating the obvious like they usually do. They're like, Jesus, this is a difficult teaching. Who can accept it? And if we're honest, there's a lot of things that we look at in the Bible, especially some of these verses that were up on the screen, and we say like, we're having the same questions the disciples did. We say, God, this is a difficult teaching. Who can accept it? There is, I'd say this is probably, we just talk about this a lot at school. We talk about worldviews. We talk about uh, just how people see the world. Uh, Christianity is a worldview. We believe that God is our father, and we believe that he created us for a purpose, and we believe there's an afterlife. Uh, that's our worldview as Christians. Uh, but other people, the most 
probably one of the most prevalent worldviews out there today in Western culture, it's very sad, is that um, there is no God, therefore there is no truth. Uh, and so the next logical question with that is, you know, so what do you believe? What, if there's no truth, then what's right, what, what's right, what's wrong? And so what a lot of people, I mean, the, if there's no objective standard for truth, if there's no God to define what's true, right, and good, it's up to us to decide that. And so what people do is what is true for me is what I like. So if I don't like X, Y, or Z, X, Y, or Z is not true for me. And so that, that kind of, it it's, it's totally illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it doesn't matter if I like that four times four is 16. God, I hope that was right. Uh, it doesn't matter if I like or don't like that four times four is 16. It just is. But then we go to morality and we say, you know what, I don't like that, so it's not true. But we don't realize how that's not, that's not logical. Uh, so anyway, that's how the world does it. If they don't like it, they throw it out. And what I like becomes true for me. And I'm not dogging on the world, not bashing the world. The world without an encounter with Jesus is lost. And if it was up to me without ever having a relationship with Jesus, encountering the love of God, I would be trying to find happiness and make sense of the world in the best way I could too in whatever ideology or material thing would make me happy. So we shouldn't expect, we shouldn't say that they're ridiculous. We shouldn't say, oh, how could they believe that? Without an encounter with Jesus, that's what you're just going to default to. So let's go share the gospel with some people. But my problem is with the church. We know the truth. We've committed our allegiance to the Lord. We know and we claim that the word of God is true. But sometimes we fall into this thing. There was a seeker-sensitive, it's, it's been called the seeker-sensitive movement that kind of started later in the 20th century where churches kind of, you know, out of a good desire to see people uh, come to the Lord, evangelistic desire and say, that, you know, they're saying, hey, how do we get more people into the church? How do we make the church more appealing to people? And so uh, they started adding some contemporary music. Uh, they started, you know, um, trying to make the building look a little prettier. Uh, they added coffee bars in the churches. Amen, right? That's awesome. Uh, and so they started doing all these things. They're not really good or bad. Um, I think some of them are good. I love coffee. Uh, and so there was nothing wrong with trying to make the church a little more appealing to people. But in doing so, it didn't really stop at the carpet. It didn't really stop at the TVs. It didn't stop with the worship pastor having Hebrew tattoos on their arms to be really cool and relevant, which is also okay. Maybe it's not okay. I don't know. Forget that last part about tattoos. But it stopped with, it didn't stop with uh, what the building looks like and, and, how we, and uh, how we dress and stuff like that. It moved a lot of times into the teaching. And in our attempt to make the church more appealing, we attempted to make Jesus more appealing, which is a grave mistake. We kind of shied away from love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because that's difficult. We shied away from forgive those who sin against you seven times, 70 times. We kind of strayed away from the fact that Jesus was homeless, that God wants to make you rich. And so we kind of took God's teaching, we watered them down into something that we're comfortable with. And here's the problem with that. Small gods ask for small things. 
but big gods ask for big things. And if you've taken God's commands and, to, and put them down and whittled them down into something that you're comfortable with, you may have inadvertently made yourself God. Denominations have been like this too. It's not just the seeker-sensitive people. Some people have been like, no, we're not going to go with that seeker-sensitive movement. Uh, we're just going to be who we've always been. Uh, but we kind of have issues too. It's not just the seeker-sensitive people. Um, the Baptists, okay? I'm going to bash on a lot of people, okay? So I'm, here we go. Uh, the Baptists look at Jesus turning water into wine, and they go, yeah, Jesus turned water into wine. But it was probably uh, unfermented wine. Like, that's grape juice. Catholics look at uh, scenes where Jesus' brothers and sisters show up, and they're like, yeah, that was Jesus' brothers and sisters. But he meant, like, my friends, not really my brothers, and Mary never had any other kids, so he doesn't have any brothers and sisters. And uh, who else was I going to make fun of? There was somebody else I was going to make fun of. Maybe I'm like, maybe the Lord's protecting me from this. Oh, okay, I remembered it. Okay, uh, <laughs> Uh, oneness Pentecostals, okay? They don't believe in the Trinity. And so when they look at Jesus praying to the Father, they say, oh, well, Jesus isn't really praying to the Father. He's making an example for us. And so he's actually really just talking to himself. Um, and so we look at all these things, and we're like, how could those people believe that stuff? Come on, that's like obviously not like, I mean, if you're just looking at a plain reading of the text, like that is not what it's saying, right? And then Church of Christ, I'm just kidding. You guys fill in the blank right there, but don't think that we don't have our little hang-ups, okay? So, I want to read something out of Isaiah. Isaiah said, uh, this is God speaking. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Here's my point. Jesus' commands are good. They're also difficult, and that is good. If we have gotten ourselves to the point where there is no command that challenges us. There's no bit of theology that confuses us and holds us in tension a little bit. And we've gotten it all figured out. We may have put ourselves in a place where God's ways are no longer higher than our ways and his thoughts are not higher than our thoughts. And we've messed up the balance. And I think that that's where we get messed up. So let's let Jesus' commands be difficult. Let's let putting the dirt back in the ditch just be a difficult job, but just do it. I want to uh, read you just a few more uh, scriptures. Um, that one, the next one. That I, yep, okay, cool. All right, so these are the scriptures that get put up on your refrigerator, okay? Or like your grandma crochets them and then you hang them up in your hallway, all right? And if it's ugly, you put it in the bathroom. So I tried to make the background look like what they would look like on your refrigerator. Uh, so... Uh, Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's really awesome. Next slide. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled 
with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I love that verse. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. <coughs> a future. Excuse me. The Lord is my shepherd. I got this one in King James because that's like obviously the best for this verse. Uh, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And finally, um, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm supposed to say Matthew 11 on this. The title of our series is called Burdensome, and it has a, a line going through uh, burdensome, uh, because non-burdensome, I'm pretty sure, just it sounded weird, and I wasn't even totally sure it was a word. Um, but the point is, is that the Bible is full of these truths, full of these passages like this one that are not super difficult for us. We love to hear them. We put them on our refrigerator, and they're super encouraging to us, and they are very easy for us to get. We like these, all right? And so, uh, I mean, back to that verse. Can you put up 1 Peter 1.8 again? I would love to see that one again. Anyway, while it doesn't, while it's coming up, here we go. Um, it says, even though you have not seen him, you love him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. There was a time in high school where I didn't really have any big, like, testimonies or anything. Like, I had really just started taking Jesus seriously and stuff. Um, and I, don't, I didn't have, like, that big testimony, like, Jesus delivered me from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I just didn't. Those testimonies are awesome, but it wasn't my testimony. Uh, and, but this was my one testimony. This verse just resonated with me and became kind of my life verse for the time. It says, you don't see him, but you love him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. All I knew about, the main thing I knew about Jesus is just that there was this peace and there was this joy inside of me that I didn't really know where it came from, but uh, I knew it just had something to do with God. I knew that he was bringing that into my life. And I know that a lot of you in the room, almost all of us, I'm sure, can look at verses like these, the refrigerator verses, and say, yes, I have experienced that inexpressible and glorious joy too. I have experienced the Lord being my shepherd. I have experienced Jesus' uh, easy burden and his light yoke, and it's awesome. So the question becomes, how, how do you put together these two verses where Jesus is like, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. You need to die. You're going to be persecuted if you follow me. You need to love your enemy. You need to do all these really hard things. And at the same time, he's saying, hey, come to me for inexpressible and glorious joy. Come to me and have abundant life. How do those two things go together? It does not seem like these things would result in these things. First jump. What is that? That was so weird. I don't know. All right, I'm just going to pretend to ignore it. Um, First John 5.3. All right, this is where we get the title of our, our sermon series. First John 5.3 says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And here it is. His commands 
are not burdensome. He said, this is love for God, that we keep his commands. His commands are not burdensome. And so some of y'all might be like, okay, hold the phone. Like, take up your cross. That literally means like a burden. Like a cross, that thing was heavy. It was basically like a tree, and he was carrying it. And so you want me to take up my cross, and then you're going to tell me that your commands are not burdensome. How do those things how do, how do those things compute? How do they go together? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I have asked a volunteer to come up and help me today. Uh, do you, does, do you, she knows who she is. Don't chicken out on me now. It'll, it'll make me look really bad. All right, everybody, give me a hand for Ellie. Here we go. Awesome. Hey, Ellie. You ready to go? Okay. All right, Ellie is going to represent us, all of us, all right? And I am going to represent God, naturally, okay? So, Ellie, I'm God, remember? Okay. Do you love me? Okay, uh, you'll do anything I ask. As God, not, not as Josh. Josh is God. Okay, cool. She said yes, everybody. All right, so I'm glad you said that. I have something for you. Let me move this over just a little bit. Okay. Stay put. Don't go anywhere. This is a 65-pound weight or a 92-pound weight, however you're looking at it. Uh, there we go. All right, Ellie. You love me? God, you love me. Okay, cool. Uh, good. I want you, Ellie, to pick up that 65-pound weight, and I want you to carry it around the auditorium, please. Lift with your legs. It, it, you can't do it. Okay. All right. This is what most of us say. Okay. This is, this dumbbell is God's command for us. These big things that he asked us to do. Was that heavy? Okay, it wasn't easy? Okay, it was tough. Awesome. God asks us to do these really big things because big gods require big things, okay? Now, too big for Ellie, all right? And so what most of us do, I'm like, I lifted that thing from there to there, and I'm like, huffing, okay. Uh, God does not have, a tr have trouble with a 65-pound weight, okay? It's just me as the representation. Uh, <clears throat> What most of us do once we get this big command and we look at it and we read it, we just read it in our Bible, uh, take up your cross and follow me, pray for those who persecute you, these really difficult things, we look at it and we, we, we're like, okay, like, some of us, we didn't even do what Ellie did, we're just like, that's too heavy, I'm not even going to try that, that's too much, that's too big, I'm, I'm just, Ellie, how old are you now? I'm a nine-year-old girl, okay, Ellie is, not me, uh, and I can't lift that, it's way too big for me, how much do you weigh, Ellie, do you know, it's a rude thing to ask girls, but. You don't know? Okay. This thing probably weighs almost as much as Ellie does. And we look at it and we say, nope, there's no way I can do that. Or we do what Ellie did and we go and we, we try to pick it up and it's, it's too heavy. And we tried that one time and we're like, you know what? I tried that. Uh, it's too heavy for me. And we start to become a really good theologian, all right? And we say, you know what? I bet God meant 
there's no way he could have been asking me to do that. That's way too big. So I bet God meant, I'm a nine-year-old girl. That's a 65-pound weight. There's no way. I bet God meant, carry this weight. This, this looks more like something that God would expect of me. He's a good father. He wouldn't ask me of anything I can't handle. God never gives me anything he can't handle. That's bad theology, by the way. Ellie, all right, here's what you're going to do. Okay. Go ahead and take, take that one. I want you to go uh, at a safe pace. Go run around <laughs> the auditorium. Go ahead. All right, y'all, give her uh, some encouragement. Woo! Good job, Ellie. Doing a great job. Boom. Watch the steps. Graceful, beautiful. All right, good job. You can set that down. Ellie, thank you so much. That was awesome, right? Were any of you surprised that she could do that? No, right? It's pretty fitting. I mean, it even matches her shirt. Uh, here's the problem, though. You're a little gas like me, aren't you? <laughs> okay, good. We're not, I'm not alone. Here's the problem. I didn't ask her to lift that one. I didn't ask her to lift this one. I asked her to lift that one. And some people at this point may be saying, like, that seems a little unfair. Is God just looking at us and he's giving us these big things to do so that he can watch us squirm, he can watch us struggle? Is he just trying to test how much we love him? No. Ellie, you want to try again? Not with, the, not, not, with, uh, not with this one. Don't. This one's gone. Okay. All right, go ahead and try again. Whoa. All right, I was not expecting that. Okay. <laughs> Don't hurt your back. <laughs> okay. The, the illustration's not completely ruined. All right, I don't think she would have made it all the way around. But, okay, Ellie, how about this? Okay, go ahead. Yes, I would love to help you, Ellie. All right, so we're going to do this together, all right? We're going to take this thing, and we're going to go all the way around. All right, all right, let's go. Here you go. You can just walk with me, and I'll carry it, okay? Just stay with me. All right. All right, Ellie. Do you, do you, know, do you know that I love you? Yeah. Okay, good. Do you know that I have really great plans for your life? Yeah, awesome. What, tell me about some things that are going on in your life right now, Ellie. Did you get any new cool Pokemon cards recently? Yes, you do. All right. That's awesome. Do you have anybody that you love that you'd like to pray for today? Your family. Okay, I love your family very, very much. All right. Yes, we're going to bless your family. Did I tell you that I love you already? Okay, good. Awesome. I'm really proud of you for doing this really big thing I asked you to do. And here we go. Boom. All right. Thank you, Ellie. Good job. You're the best. You can go sit down. Like I said, it's not this heavy for God. Um, here's the point. Is God, is God asks for really big things because he's a big God. But he's also not asking for little things because we don't need him for it. Ellie did not need my help to get around this room with this little three-pound pink dumbbell. 
she could do it. She was fully capable. But when it came to this 65-pound dumbbell, she needed help. And here's the reason. I wanted to ask her to do something that was so big that it would be impossible for her to do alone so that I would have to participate with her. God is not so, as, he's not as interested in what we can do for him as he is interested in what we can do with him. This is why it's so dangerous for us to take the really difficult things that Jesus asked us to do, that God asked us to do, and boil them down and whittle them down until there's something that we can handle. They need to be too big for you to handle. They should bring you to your knees and say, Jesus, I cannot do this without you. I need you to come alongside me and carry this burden for me, with me. And in that way, a relationship is built. Whenever Ellie was running out there by herself, she was gone. I just had to go kind of watch her do it. But when she was with me, I got to talk with her. I got to remind her of God's love for her. I got to tell her, you know, God has great plans for you. And that's God's desire for us in the midst of doing the hard things is actually when we grow closest to Jesus. That's when we learn dependence upon him. That's when we really start to learn how to hear his voice and, lo and know that we're loved by him and to receive from him his plans for our lives. Another aspect, another reason that God gives us this giant 65-pound 65 65 dumbbell instead of that little three-pound dumbbell is because how many of you, if you hadn't been here today at church, uh, and somebody told you, hey, Ellie, on Sunday morning, carried a 65-pound dumbbell all the way around the auditorium by herself. How many of y'all would believe that? Probably not. And that's the point. Whenever God asks us to do, if, if we think that God is asking us to do little things, the world's going to look at us doing the little thing, and they're going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. But whenever the world sees us do the really big, impossible thing, they look at that whenever it becomes accomplished, and they look and they say, there's no way that they did that by themselves. They had to have had supernatural help. God, there must be something to this God. There's no way that they could have done it by themselves. Does that make sense? This is huge. Because we want to do the really hard things that are going to make people see that God is real, that God's alive. And that's only going to happen whenever we take the full weight of the things that God is asking us to do. It's scary, I know, but it's okay because God's going to carry it with us. And he's going to be the one who gets the glory in the end. It all kind of works out. There is... Still gassed, y'all. <laughs> that was really tough. All right. Hey, by the way, if y'all want to get like just really jacked and manly like me, uh, Daniel is putting together a big old weight room over here across the street pretty soon. And yeah, so if you want all of this, then you can come join us with that. Um, man, if I'm thinking about the most difficult thing that I ever saw Jesus ask anybody uh, in Scripture, it had to be in Mark 10, uh, and that is verse, um, in verse 17 of Mark 10. So uh, I'm just going to kind of summarize this part. You know, this, we know the story. Jesus is, um, is in town, and this guy comes up to him, young man, uh, has a lot of stuff, and he's very wealthy, and he comes up to Jesus, and he said, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commands. Uh, honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't murder. And 
the guy looks at him, you know, he's like, you know, he's feeling pretty good at this point, and he's like, awesome, okay, I've done all of those things, where do I sign? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, awesome, but there's just one thing you lack now. Go take all of your possessions and sell them to the poor, or give them to the poor, and come follow me. That's huge. That's rough. That's a 100-pound dumbbell. And so the man, we know, um, says the man's face fell. He said he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus was asking a really, really big thing of him. Then Jesus says, it says that Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then he continued and he said, um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds about as difficult as difficult gets. And it's actually not even difficult. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that it's impossible. I haven't seen anybody do it yet, put the camel through an eye of a needle. Send me that YouTube video whenever you guys do see that. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is that it's impossible. And the sad thing is, is that the man went away sad. And Jesus' next words are really important in this story. Notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, oh, well, you know, um, not everybody has to give up everything to follow me. You know, that was just his one thing for him. He also doesn't say, you know, guys, uh, it really stinks for that guy. He should have stuck around longer because that was a metaphor. And what I really meant was, he didn't say that. He meant what he said. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, okay, sorry, what the disciples say after that, this is important. He says, well, they look at how hard that thing is that Jesus said, and they said, well, who then can be saved? Kind of what all of us are wondering. If you read this for the first time, you get really nervous. They say, who can be saved if that's the standard? And this is what Jesus says. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. If that man would have stuck around, if his first answer, I'm imagining this man thought that all of his resources and all of his abilities as a wealthy man, he felt that they were within himself. He said he must have had a lot of money to do a lot of things. He must have had a lot of money to go and do things and go places and see people and uh, get all the comforts that he could have possibly gotten. So he's used to having within himself the ability to do what he needed to do. But then when Jesus calls on him to ask, ask of him really this one of the very few impossible things for him, he's dejected. Nothing's ever been impossible for him before. And he leaves because he thinks that he's supposed to just answer this call of Jesus with the, the power and with the wealth and the resources that he has. Whereas if he would have stopped and he would have said, you know what, Jesus, I can't do that. I need your help. I need you to help me do that. I cannot on my own give up all of my possessions. I need you to help me. I need you to walk with me. I need you to sustain me through this journey that we're going to go on. I guarantee you that Jesus would have helped him get rid of that stuff. He would have walked him through that process. And then after the day, after he's mourning the loss of all of his awesome stuff, Jesus would be right there helping him get through it. And then the next day and the next day and the next day, when it's still difficult, Jesus would be there helping him get through the impossible. And he could have been the 12th disciple. We might have known him as that. 
Jesus asks of us the impossible. And that's actually a good thing. Because whenever we rely on him to do the impossible, we get to grow in our relationship with him, experience his goodness on levels we've never known, and the world will get to see it, and they're going to want that too. Jesus' commands are difficult. That's good. Let's go do them. 